Good morning, everybody. Is anyone out there in need of a boost of joy? Ooh, some hands went up real quick. Thankfully, the Lord knows that this can be a wearisome place. But I'd like you to do for a minute, if you have a piece of paper or you could write on the smartphone or whatever, um, take a minute and I want you to answer this question or finish the sentence. I would have more joy in my life right now if... I could have more joy in my life if, what? Fill in the blanks. We're not going to make you share your thought. So please write down whatever comes to your mind. I think it's clear everyone wants to be happy. Does anyone not want to be happy? Everyone wants to be happy. It's written into our Declaration of Independence, right? It's an inalienable right, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So you guys took U.S. history. That's good. Uh, The pursuit of happiness. So you would think, okay, the U.S. has been around for 200 years. The U.S. should be the happiest place, right? And in fact, I think for... Two centuries, people have wanted to come to America. I think it's still very much true, the American dream. But is America the happiest place? The statistics would say otherwise. From 1999 to 2017, the suicide rate in this country has increased 33%. And you might be surprised to hear that The second leading cause of death for people who are under 35 is suicide. So what is wrong with this picture? I was, it was interesting to hear that the commissioner of the NBA, uh, the NBA is really hot right now in sports. They said that the, one of the big problems that he has is that these players are not happy. Wait a minute, how come they're not happy? They're young, they're athletic, they make a lot of money. Why aren't they happy? It's kind of interesting. Did you, how many of you know the term FOMO? Okay, the average age is pretty young on that one. How many of you don't know what FOMO is? F-O-M-O. Come on, be honest. I didn't know this until a few weeks ago. Okay. FOMO is the fear of missing out. Wow. I think I was better off before I knew about this. (laughs) Now I'm worried. The fear of missing out. You know, everyone has a list of things that they like. I have my list. Like, I like it when my team wins. My favorite team is the Warriors. Yeah, I got one shout out there. Uh, I I like the Warriors. Um, When I was in school many centuries ago, uh, 
Uh, I liked getting good grades. When I got good grades, I was happy. If I didn't get good grades, maybe not so much. I enjoyed um, I enjoy in a nice meal with my family. I know many of you do because I see your posts on Facebook. And you get a lot of likes. Uh, maybe this time of year, finishing your taxes would make you have joy. I haven't done mine yet, so. <laughs> maybe something more serious, like hearing a friend that a friend has had successful surgery and there's no cancer. That's actually a real life answer to prayer. So those are things that, that make people happy. But life can be tough. Like yesterday, the Warriors lost. But thankfully, I didn't watch. So I didn't waste my time. I had more important things to do yesterday. Uh, you know, you, you might have done well last semester, last quarter, but now is a new quarter, new semester. You're starting over. Uh, I think we all can relate to rejection. Rejection from our friends, rejection from family, rejection from school, schools that we that would greatly benefit from our going there. They don't get it, but uh, rejection from companies. Accidents and tragedies can happen. And I was driving on San Antonio Road today. I didn't even tell my family, but. It's just me and one other car pulling into the expressway. And I'm looking straight at them, and they pulled out. And I thought, this is not a good day for me to be in an accident. But fortunately, they stopped just in time, and I was able to make it here. But, you know, life can be tough. People get sick. People die from cancer. There's a lot of things that could take, the, take our joy away. So the question is, what does biblical joy look like? What does the Bible say about joy? The Apostle Paul, he says very, very uh, brashly in Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, as you heard Elder Tim share, I will say it again, rejoice. It's a command. It's not optional. It's not like you should do this sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it, I'll say it again. Rejoice. So, uh, I would tell you from a human perspective, that can be kind of annoying. Right? If, if you're, if you're not a believer, that can sound kind of annoying. It's kind of like, I don't know, for some of you, high school may be a long time ago, like it was for me, but I found it annoying when my team was losing by 40 and the cheerleaders are smiling and they're saying, we can do it, we can do it. It's like, come on, get out of here. It's, it's frustrating. Hold that line. Okay, they've only scored 10 touchdowns, maybe this time. Uh, it's like vacuuming your house when a tornado's coming. 
Oh, let's smile. We'll, we'll clean up the house when a disaster is about to happen. Or um, I think the real question, have you seen that? It's kind of a funny and kind of a stupid commercial. I think it's a beer commercial where the end of the world is happening and they just got to do one more dance and they got to drink that last sip of beer when the world is about to end. I mean, really? Is that is that what that's about? I think the joy is tested by adversity. And the question is, what is your, your joy built on? In Matthew 7, Jesus talked about building your house on the rock so that when the storms come and the floodwaters rise, and there have been some horrific pictures of flooding, that you will stand firm. That's what biblical joy looks like. I would argue that this type of joy is not attainable if you're not a believer. You'd have to be delusional to not be a believer and act like everything is fine. Have you ever run into those kind of people? They can be as as annoying as heck because they don't get it. You could be going through a tragedy and they're just saying, oh, it'll, it'll all be good. It'll all be good. Is it really? But biblical joy is for followers of Jesus Christ. And it can only happen with the work of the Spirit. In my Sunday school class right now, we're talking about, about the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to just read Galatians five sixteen to 23 because this is what, this is the premise of where joy comes from, at least biblical joy, starting with verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's a war. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, okay? It's no secret. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not a comprehensive list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, it's very black and white, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's as clear as it can be. But, for those who are believers, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For against these things there's no law. So if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you can have access to joy. If you ever feel melancholy or down, I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians. I think it's, it's the entire Bible is a great resource, but I love the book of Philippians. And so what I'm going to do is do a quick flyby over Philippians 
to talk about what biblical joy looks like. But before we do that, um, I'm going to just share a little bit about where Philippi is mentioned. It's in Acts 16. You can turn there or you don't have to right now for the sake of time. But Paul and Silas are, are on their missionary journey. They get to Philippi. And there's not enough Jewish people there to have a synagogue. So they meet by the river, by the riverbank, and it starts out really well. They get uh, a convert to Christianity, Lydia, uh, a a rich uh, businesswoman who's a seller of purple, luxury goods. She becomes a believer, and it's, oh, my goodness, this is a time of joy because... The Lord is granting us a success. But as they go on through the day, they run into this slave girl who's a fortune teller. And she's saying things that are, they sound good, but they're they're disruptive. So Paul casts out this evil spirit from her, which is a good thing, right? She, she's, uh, he is saving this girl from demon possession. So what happens? They throw a party, they get their they get their picture in the newspaper? No. They get arrested, they get seized, and the word is they're beaten with rods with many blows. Has anyone in this room been beaten with rods with many blows? If you do, we we'll call the police, but uh I haven't. But I can imagine, I can only imagine what that's like to be beaten with rods. And they're thrown into prison and they're changed. So what do they do? What would you do? You're beaten up. You've, you've, you've done everything right. You find yourself beaten up and thrown in jail and in chains. So what would you do? Would you say, I want to talk to my lawyer? If you're from California, that might be your answer. Uh, would you cry? Would you curse? What would you do? There's a lot of things I could think of, and most of them are not good. But it says here about midnight. So these guys have had a long day, right? It started out well. Lydia became a believer. They got, they cast, uh, Paul cast out a demon from a slave girl. Now they're beaten up. They're in jail. It's midnight. By the way, they haven't been treated for their wounds. They're just probably cut up and bleeding. And what do they do? They're praying and singing hymns to God. How can you explain that? Are they delusional? Are they, do they not get it that they're in a bad spot? This is what biblical joy looks like. And from the pen of the man who went through that, he's going to explain to us why biblical joy is so valuable. So I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians. I read it super slow. I could read it in 15 minutes. But the truths in there are so compelling that you could use it for the rest of your life and you won't be able to plumb the depths of its truth. Now, interestingly, Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison in Rome between 80, 60, and 62. During that time, while he's chained to a guard, he wrote 
the, uh, the prison epistles. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Amazingly productive. Uh, when I went to Rome a couple of years ago with my family, uh, Rome is a really interesting city with a lot of history. But I have to confess to you, I messed up. I saw the Colosseum, but I missed the chance to see where Paul was. I didn't connect the dots until I got home. Because when, I, when, when you read, you, you, uh, you hear that he was at the forum of Appius. And I didn't, you know, we actually, the Appian Road, have you heard of that? The Appian Road is the main road that goes into Rome. I was on that road. I was there to see the, the grooves of the chariot wheels on that road. And we went by the forum but it's, it's kind of in ruins. We could have seen the prison where Paul, the dungeon really, where he, was, where he was put, where he wrote these letters, and I missed it. I would trade the opportunity to see the Colosseum to see that. And if you ever get a chance to go to Rome, I would encourage you to go find that and look it up. But more important than that, Read the book of Philippians because that's where the Apostle Paul still speaks to us today. So the first point that I want to make is the joy, biblical joy, is joy in the security of knowing that God will help us finish the race. Philippians 4, 1 through, 1, 4 through 6. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm good at starting projects. I wish I was better at finishing projects. It would probably help my marriage. I know she loves me anyway. But we're talking about the race to eternal life. The race to eternal life. If you are a follower of Christ, the Lord promises that he will help you finish the race. He will bring you to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you glad it doesn't depend on you? Man, if it depended on me, I would be frightened because I know I'm prone. But if it depends on him, I can say, Lord, you promised. You promised that you would take me with all my frailties, with all my mistakes, with all my stupidities. You will help me finish the race. That is what a believer's joy is based on. What's the second thing that uh, a believer's joy? It's the joy in life or death. Philippians 1 verse 21. Paul says emphatically, for to me 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. How many people can say that? People are terrified of death because it's it's kind of over. They want to get everything in before before it ends. But the difference is for us who are believers, whether we live or whether we die, it's all about Christ. What an incredible benefit that is. You know, death is the ultimate equalizer, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're rich, famous, poor, beautiful, ugly, skinny, fat, whatever you, whatever your, your place in life, we are all going to die at some point. It is the ultimate question. What will happen if you die? It's kind of interesting. The Bible takes a very different perspective. In Hebrews 9, it says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. You mean there's something that you should fear more than death? Yes. There is something you should fear more than death. It's judgment. You have to stand before a holy God and you have to explain your life. And I, when I get there, I'm just going to say, I'm with him. I'm with the Lord Jesus. There's nothing I bring to the table, but I'm with the Lord. That's all we can say. If you're a believer, you have that benefit. Whether you live or you die, you have the benefit of knowing that we're protected in Christ. We don't have to fear death, but people around us, they do fear death. And we need to share the gospel with them so that they will no longer fear death either. Amen? A third benefit we get from being a believer, the joy of putting others before us for the glory of God. You know, there's... It is truly more blessed to give than to receive. I know when I was a little kid, I used to, I had a complicated relationship with Christmas. I don't know if anyone else has that. Because I always had these grandiose expectations of what gift I was going to get. And then when the reality hit, I'd always, I'd be disappointed. Like, I remember one time, I, I wanted a real football. Like, you know, the kind you play with. I got a plastic football piggy bank. <laughs> I wanted to throw it. You know what changed for me is when I realized what Christmas was really about. And when I realized that it was really about what I got and that because I got so much, I needed to give to other people. And so I get so much more joy out of giving than receiving. So the joy of putting others before us. Philippians 2 Uh, Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. And you know, Christ is our ultimate example, isn't he? He could have sent archangels. He could have sent... He had the entire universe at his disposal. But he came himself into the most vulnerable creature on the planet. You know what that is? A human baby. There's absolutely nothing more helpless than a baby. Austin, you're going to find out real quick. Uh, The baby's going to need Emily a lot more than you to begin with. But... That is unbelievable. He is our example. Have this, in, have this in mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you're God, why would you want to be a man? I understand why a man wants to be like God. I mean, you you understand why Marvel is so successful? We all want to be super. But why would a super want to become immortal? Ask yourself that. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? That's what our believer's joy is based on. You know, when Jesus prayed his uh, high priestly prayer right before he went to the cross, You know what he prayed for? That you and I would love one another. That is the greatest joy, to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. In Philippians 4, there's two sisters, Euodia and Syntyche, who are not getting along. And he asked, the Christians around them, help these sisters get along, will you? Because when we don't get along, it robs us of joy. So we've got to fix the vertical relationship with God first, and then we've got to constantly work on keeping our relationship with other people. If you have that, you are guaranteed to have joy. A fourth benefit is the joy of doing the right things with the right attitude. How many of you are good at doing that? Have you ever done the right thing with the wrong attitude? My mother's here today, so she knows. I can't hide anything from her. I could say, well, at least I did it. But really, that's not enough. You know, you can spoil... You can spoil a good thing by having the wrong attitude. It's like, if you have the wrong attitude, just don't do it. Don't do it with the... No, do it with the right attitude. Do all things 
without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do we live in a crooked and twisted generation? You better bet. And it's going to get worse. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so the day, so in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If you get a chance, read the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Because these Israelites are freed from slavery. And what do they do in the desert? They complain. Keith Green, in his, uh, so you want to go back to Egypt? He asks, he says, we're tired of this manna, you know? Wish we went back where it was so good. They forgot how bad it was in, in Egypt. But you know what? That Those people, when you read about them, that's you and me. Did not Jesus die on the cross to save us from our sins? From captivity to slavery, he freed us. And what do we do? We grumble. We complain. We said, manna again? We're not thankful. So, doing the right things with the right attitude. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says, this requires that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because when we have fear and trembling, you know what we do? We serve other people. We know our right place. He is Lord of all, and we are just servants. And we are called to do what he asked us to do. We, can we do this in the flesh? Cannot. It's not possible. But Christ can do the impossible. Only by walking in the Spirit can we have that type of joy. A fifth benefit is the joy of pursuing Christ with vigor to win the prize. Isn't it interesting? Like, in, in our world, only one can win a prize. Except if you're talking about youth soccer, then everyone gets a prize for showing up. But God has given each of us a race. And if we successfully run that race, he promises to give us a prize. You know what the ultimate prize is for a believer? For, for a believer to go to heaven and the Lord Jesus to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Would you not want to do your best for a, a God like that? Should we offer the Lord our leftovers? Would we do that for a great king? Would we like bring our leftovers and present it to the king? Wouldn't we want to give our very best? Well, when we give our very best, which is like mud pies, 
the Lord receives it with grace. You know, it's like when I became a father and my kids would do their little drawing and, you know, they say, Dad, Daddy, Daddy, I, I made this for you. And I'd look at the drawing, I'd go, it's not very, not very good, but, you know. <laughs> but it's, they put everything they had into it. And when they're drawing that drawing, they're thinking of their daddy. And because of that, these drawings are precious to me. Do you think God's like that? When we do our best for him, he knows we're not perfect. But when he sees us trying and doing the best that we can with what we have, it pleases him. And it gives, and, and when we do it, it feeds us it gives us strength and it gives us vigor to continue. So we need to continue to do that. Okay. A sixth benefit is joy in our heavenly citizenship. You know, I've had a chance to travel all around the world. And I have to tell you, it is an awesome benefit to have a passport that says the United States of America. If you have that, you are super blessed. There are a lot of people in the world that would love to have that passport. And in fact, they would try to steal it and use it. But I got something way better than the USA passport. It's a citizenship to the kingdom of God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing better than that. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained, uh, sorry, uh, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Everything, every atom, every sinner, every angel, every demon, Every planet, every sun, everything in all of creation submits to the Lord our God. Do you want to be a citizen in his kingdom? If you said you you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in his kingdom. And you don't have to worry about losing a passport. Like that happened to me once. It was kind of a terrifying experience. That passport is in our heart. And there is nobody who can take it out of us. And that is a a basis of joy. What's another uh, joy of being a believer? The joy of praying to God with confidence and having his peace. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is, is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. There's nothing to be anxious for if you're a follower of Christ. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, even for the bad stuff, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. 
man, do you want the peace of God? There is nothing better. You know why? Because every human being knows that they're a sinner. I think this is why a lot of people are are prone to addiction because they know they're sinners. And that's a good way to forget about their issues. Unfortunately, it buries them deeper and deeper into a horrific spiral. But with God, his peace begins with forgiveness of all our sins. That is, that is a weight that we can't even imagine. I can't, I can't fathom what it will be like in heaven when, when every single thought we have is right. We don't have to worry about our intentions. We don't have to worry about anything wrong. We don't have to worry about other people doing wrong things to us. We can, we can have that peace that passes all understanding. An eighth element of joy from Philippians, the joy of contentedness. You know, if there's one sign that the world has gone crazy, it's that there's no contentment to be found anywhere. In fact, the world says greed is good. How can a Christian be content? You know, we've got some big challenges, right? And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? What did Satan do to Eve and Adam? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. It's the same stuff. And it makes you totally not content. This is probably the greatest enemy to joy. Because you know what? You may have a nice house. Someone has a better house. You may have a nice car. Someone has a better car. You may have gotten into a good school, but someone got into a better school. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. If that is what you're going to base your joy on, you have built on the sand. Because it's going to, when the time of testing comes, it's all going to disintegrate. So, uh, Philippians 4, 12 to 13. This is, this is an incredible statement by the Apostle Paul. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be humbled. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing pl- plenty, secret of facing plenty, And hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look, people, we can all enjoy bounty, can't we? I mean, we all would like to have plenty of money. We'd love to have uh, abundance of everything. But the real test is adversity. What are you going to do if you're brought low, if you're humbled? What are you going to do when you're hungry? Has anyone in this room really been hungry? Like there was nothing to eat? I hope not. And looking around this room, I doubt it. If I'm if I miss a meal, it's because I chose to miss the meal. It's not because I didn't have access to it. 
But Paul knew what it was like to be hungry. But he never lost his joy. This dying world knows nothing about contentedness because of sin. It's rife with greed, selfishness, disappointment, envy, jealousy, hatred. You know, they did an interesting study on a monkey where they gave the monk they gave this monkey a um, vegetable. Maybe it was like a celery. And, you know, they gave it to him. He liked he ate it. I don't know if he liked it, but he ate it. And then um, they brought in another monkey. And they gave that monkey a grape. So what do you think the first monkey did? He got really irritated. He no longer wanted that vegetable. In fact, he started throwing it in the cage. Does it remind you of anyone you know? When w- Do you want to be like a monkey? Where you want to be like a citizen of God. This is, this is impossible stuff if you are not a believer. I want to give you a couple of pictures because this is important. Okay, Jesus fell asleep in a boat in the midst of a storm. What does that mean? You have to be awfully tired to sleep in the midst of the storm. So what did the disciples do? They wake him up, Lord Jesus. Don't you care that we're about to die? Isn't that a funny? I think I think there's humor in the Bible we don't get sometimes. Cuz Jesus got up and he said, "Be still." So what does contentment look like? Some of you, I know, because I've talked to you, some of you are in the midst of a storm. It feels like a hurricane. I, I, I know some of you are going through some tough times. The Lord knows even more. But I'll tell you, the absolute key is like Peter on the water. As long as he kept his eyes on the Lord and just focused on the next step, he was okay. But as soon as he started looking around at his circumstances, started saying, I can't be walking on the water. Look, there's a storm. The waves are big. What happened? He'd sink. So Christian... Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Just ask him for grace for the next step. I know sometimes we want to pray that the storm would cease. But oftentimes God allows that storm to happen to teach us to trust him. He just says, keep your eyes fixed on me and just take the next step. And if you do that, you will learn to be content. I was talking to Pastor Tim and he shared a verse with me that's uh, been really helpful in my life that I think will help you with contentedness and joy in the Christian life. 
and it's from Psalm 94:19. It says, "When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my heart." We just got to look for those consolations that God gives us, you know? We tend to look at all the cares that we have. But we if we fix our eyes on the Lord, he will always give us a consolation to remind us that he is there. Things won't happen the way we want, but he will let us know that he is right there with us. A ninth element is the joy of knowing that God will supply all our needs. Not all our wants, but all of our needs. Everything we need, he will take care of. He promises. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Every need. Every need you have, God promises to take care of for you. Not the way you want. But he will provide for you and me what we need. Most important of all, the joy of knowing Jesus. We, we, I refer to this many different times, but there's nothing more important than the joy of knowing Jesus. If you have that, you have it all. Listen what, to what the Apostle Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I, count, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Savior. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything that the Apostle Paul accomplished before Christ, trash. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering. Oh, wait, why is that in there? I, 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 I want to talk, talk about the power of his resurrection. I don't want to hear about sharing in his suffering. No, you get the whole deal. You get the resurrection power, and you get to share in his suffering. And by doing that, we will be made holy. This is what he promises. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Do you want to attain to the resurrection of the dead? If you know Christ, you have that. And if you have that, then you have joy. Think about it. What could you possibly achieve in this world that could bring you satisfaction, peace, joy? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Christ has done it all. So if you have the joy of knowing Jesus, you get everything else. You get the joy of knowing that God will supply all your needs. You get the joy of contentedness. You get the joy of praying to God with confidence and having his peace. You get the joy 
in knowing that your heavenly citizenship is secure. You get the joy of pursuing Christ with vigor, knowing that you will win the prize. You get the joy of doing the right things with the right attitude, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You get the joy of putting others before us, before you for the glory of God. You get joy in life or death. You get the joy and the security of knowing that God will help us finish the race and every other promise in the word of God. That is an awesome, awesome thing. So take a look at your the list. If you wrote down what you wrote down earlier today, unless you're super spiritual, uh, whatever you wrote down is going to be pretty small compared to what we just talked about. Here's the funny thing. There's only one thing that you should have FOMO about. And it's not missing some important post on Instagram or Facebook. The only fear of missing out anyone should have is missing out on the kingdom of God. If you miss out on that, everything else is trash. It's rubbish. It's a dung heap is the literal word. So think through carefully and and consider what is your joy based on. So I'm going to conclude with this from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height or depth nor anything at all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you have that, brother and sister, you have joy. You have a joy that's unspeakable and filled with glory. And that's a joy that this world absolutely cannot have. And I think this is a... So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would really ask you to consider what is preventing you from wanting to become a follower. What is it you're holding on to? It's not worth it. So with that, we're going to transition to the Lord's table. I'd like to ask the ushers to come down. A couple couple reminders. Um, this is for believers only. Only if you've accepted Christ as your Savior should you partake. The second thing is, if anyone in this room, if you're a believer, but you have unresolved conflict with another believer or even a non-believer, if you have unresolved conflict, you should let it pass you by. If you have unconfessed sin, you should pass it by. But we're going to give you a few moments to think it through and confess it to the Lord before you partake. Because Jesus says, if you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 and 32, again, from the Apostle Paul. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of this cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But we, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The word says that Jesus went to the cross with joy with joy, knowing that he was making a way for you and me. So let us partake together. Let us close this time with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to Look upon your word. We thank you for your faithful servant, the Apostle Paul, who not only wrote words for our benefit, but he was a living example, as were you, our Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would help us to set aside the things of this life that drag us down, that we might run this race with joy knowing that you will work all things together for good and that you want us to have joy as a loving father. Thank you for making the way. All glory and praise to Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen.